Well, after 13 years of being at Trinity Park, I decided to actually preach a Thanksgiving sermon. I don't really ever do this. I normally stay in series, but I thought, you know, why not? Why not actually talk about a biblical command that is throughout Scripture all the time at the time of year when we're thinking about Thanksgiving anyway? And after the last three years that we've all been through, I think it's time that we just talk about being thankful together, not in all of the things in life that, yes, we should be thankful for, uh, but first of all, be thankful in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the gospel. So I'm preaching a Thanksgiving sermon this year. Uh, last Sunday after church, I went to Josh's soccer game, as often happens, and I was sitting on the sideline. Actually, we were walking up to find a seat uh, where you, you know, find a patch of grass next to someone else to put our chair in. And there was a, a couple there that um, they kind of self-proclaimed themselves to be, be Christians. I was actually really excited to meet them. And so we put our chairs down next to them. And as we sat there, <clears throat> I just heard this incessant grumbling and complaining and murmuring happening kind of under their breaths constantly about everything that every player on our team was doing wrong. And as I say this, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm about to relate this to myself, so I'm not casting judgment on them. I think I do this all the time. But as I'm sitting there and listening to them, what ended up happening to me is I ended up starting to notice all of the things that our team actually wasn't very good at. Uh, all of the bad passes, all the bad defense, the lack of spacing, and I found myself getting frustrated listening to their frustration. And to start the second half, I had to get up and actually move. I had to get up and leave. I didn't tell Olivia, I just walked off, and I walked to the other end of the field, and I had a very enjoyable second half of the game watching our team. We did lose. We didn't play that well, but I had a different perspective from a different place. I walked back after the game, and, and you know, Olivia was like, where did you go? I was like, I'm sorry. I just I couldn't handle it. I had to get away. I needed to go to another spot on the field. I just couldn't believe all of the, the commentary that was going on next to us under the breath and she was like i know she's like i swear i mean josh is only going to be here for 18 more months can we just enjoy watching him play soccer and i just thought yeah i mean like the change in perspective is so necessary for us at times and what i hope for us is that we can kind of in this moment in time which i am guilty as charged of of living my life and the irony is, as, as this couple walked out, I noticed that the wife had a, a T-shirt on that I did not notice during the game that said, thankful on it. And kind of like, uh, you know, Christian writing. You could just tell it was a Christian T-shirt. And I was just like, oh, man, you know. And, you know, is thankfulness more than a T-shirt for us? Because sometimes, it's, I, don't, I don't have a thankful T-shirt, but just go along with the analogy. Is it, you know, this hashtag blessed kind of like Christian lifestyle? Are we actually thankful or have we wandered in to grumbling and murmuring and complaining and yet the external facade says yeah I'm thankful because I'm a Christian I mean so often that's my life and as Gary prayed it's hard to be thankful at times but the problem with grumbling complaining and murmuring is it's contagious it's like a disease when you're around someone that their vibe is grumbling, and you know what I'm talking about, it's hard not to grumble because how else do you relate to this person? You know, they grumble. And then you just start to realize there are a ton of things that are messed up in the world. 
There are, and we can talk about those things all day long. But also thankfulness and gratefulness is contagious. When you're around people that actually see what God is doing in the world and, and have a perspective that God is good, even in the midst of the, the very real trials of our lives, that can be contagious as well. I think, I know for me and I know for our church, there have been times in the last three years where we have been like the Israelites in the desert. We have grumbled and murmured and complained far too much and it's become contagious. And so what I hope for, for us this year is that we can take this moment that America has declared to be Thanksgiving and actually make it a Sunday of, and maybe even a life change of Thanksgiving that happens in our hearts because of the gospel. So that's where we're going today. The, thanks, the thankfulness that we can have as Christians in life goes far beyond how well your kid plays in a given sports game, how much money you have in the bank, how well your friends or your spouse notice you and understand your needs and respond well to those needs, how much you like your job in a given week. The thankfulness we have in Jesus can go far beyond that. If we don't anchor our identity and our thankfulness in the gospel, what can happen is we can be like kids riding a seesaw at the, at the park where if things are going well, we're, we're up, man. We feel super happy about life. And then something happens and we're like, boom, you know, down, we're down. And we ride this seesaw of thankfulness or not, you know, the th thankfulness and grumbling. And, and that's not the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is for us to anchor our thankfulness in who Jesus is and what he has done. You know, as we noted in, in the... Um, in the assurance of pardoning grace, there, there's a call actually for us to be thankful in all circumstances. And that is one of those verses in the Bible that I'm like, wow, that's really hard to do. Uh, but thanks be to God, it's actually possible through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can experience really hard things in life and respond still with thankfulness because of what Jesus has done and how much he loves us. So there are at least three re reasons given in Psalm 107 for why we can and should be thankful in all circumstances. First of all, we can give thanks to God always for who he is. That's the first point, who God is, thankfulness for who God is. We can be thankful that he has redeemed us. That's the second point. And we can be thankful that he continues to provide for us. So we'll walk through the psalm as it's laid out for us. First of all, we should give thanks to God because of who he is. That's verse one. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Because of the character of God, because of who God is in and of himself, we can be thankful in all circumstances. It starts with the character of God. There's only one God. And so what he is actually like in and of himself should matter, it does matter a great deal to you and to me. It says that God, and the Bible says that God is good, that God is good. If he is not good, then everything changes. 
It says in the Bible that God is love and that his love endures forever. If God is not love and his love does not endure forever, then everything changes. There's only one God, but yet in our culture and throughout the centuries, cultures have made gods, lowercase g, in their own image. And we still do this today. All of the gods we form in some way, where they're formed kind of in our own likeness. Have you ever noticed how some people pick out cars that kind of cars or SUVs or trucks that kind of correspond to what they look like? It's an uncanny phenomenon. The same thing can go for pets. There's this guy in my neighborhood that looks like a bulldog, and then he got a bulldog. Um, it's crazy, but so we do this. We form things in our own image, and we do this with, with gods. We've done it throughout the century. If we really want to be successful, we make a god out of success. And when we're doing well, then we feel great about life. When we're not doing well, we're failing, we feel terrible about life. We make a god out of beauty. And when someone says to us something as simple as, hey, I like your outfit, we're like, woo, man, what a great day. But if no one notices our outfit, we feel like it, who are we anyway? Does anyone even care? We do this with things in our lives such as this. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, where are you getting your concept of God? Where does that start for you? I'm telling you, you have an option. You can start with whatever's in your own brain, or you can start with the Bible. And whatever's in your own brain came from somewhere, okay? There's no one out there who's a blank slate. You are receiving your identity either from what the Bible says about who God is, or you're receiving that identity from whatever the world is telling you that you should care about in life. Success, beauty, money, popularity, power, all of that. No one is a blank slate. You're getting your ideas from somewhere. So you need to recognize the fact that your thoughts, even if you call yourself and you, even if you are a Christian, could very, very easily, in fact, for all of us, there are areas in our lives that are probably out of alignment with what God says is true about us, is true about him and us in his word. One of my kids was driving my car the other day, this is about a year ago, and I noticed after I started driving it that the car was not in the same alignment as when I drove it the last time. I don't know what happened, but something happened. It wasn't terrible, but they hit something, you know? And I had to get it realigned. So this is kind of a realignment. You may have some thinking about who you are that's out of alignment with what God says about himself and about you. The best place to go to get aligned is to go to the Bible. This is where God tells us about who he is. And in Psalm 107, God says two things about his own identity that we can be thankful for. First of all, very simply, he is good. And that is simple, that God is good. But I want you to imagine for a moment if the Bible said that God was bad, that God was evil, malicious, manipulative, that he, he changes his mind and he's, uh, ab he has aberrant behavior. You can't really depend on who he is. There are religions and there are teachings in the world about what God is like that say that God is just like that. Throughout the centuries, there have been people that have said, no, God is this way. 
But the Bible says that God is good. And the difference that makes in your life is tremendous. That God is good, that he is good to you. That morally in God, you can take that one attribute of God's goodness out to the very farthest extent of what goodness means in all of God, every single facet of who God is, is good. There is no bad in him. There's only good in God. God is good. And that changes us if we believe that God is good. He always does what is right, always. Also, God is loving. Imagine with me, again, the Bible revealed God to be hateful or easily angered, holding a record of wrongs, the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13, judgmental. Imagine if God, after you were a Christian, didn't look at Christ, didn't look at you through the lens of Christ, and, and, and he, he wasn't satisfied with that righteousness of Jesus. Imagine if God's love had a limit to it for you as a Christian. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in chapter 3, in response to the fall, it explains God's love so beautifully and accurately. And the writer Sally Lloyd-Jones says, You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, everything his children had done, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Imagine with me if you could remember every moment of your life that God was good and God was loving. That God was good and loving not a little bit, not almost all the way, but to every single extent possible in God, he is love and that his love endures forever. Imagine if you lived in a state of believing all the time that God's love for you endured forever, that there's nothing that you've ever done, can do, or will do that God would not love you. Imagine that. Imagine how it would eradicate shame in you, that feeling that you don't belong, that feeling that you can't be honest that feeling that maybe God doesn't quite love you all the way, but he only loves you to a point. Maybe it's a great deal, or maybe it's quite a lot, but it's not all the way. But imagine if you believed that God loved you and he forgave you completely for all of your sins, 100% all the time, that there's never a barrier existing between you and God because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That would change and does change our lives. That changes your life when you first believe it, and it changes your life as you continue to believe it as a Christian. So first of all, you can give thanks to the Lord because of who God is. God is good and God is loving. Second, you can give thanks to God because he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. This is the bulk of this psalm, verses 2 through 32. I didn't even think about this uh, today until he was reading the passage. But in Young Life, they have a, a moment at camp called a say-so. Uh, and that's where, I'm sure it comes from this passage. I haven't talked to Jim about it or anybody else. But let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
and have a say-so. So if God has changed your life, you, you're supposed to stand up and you're supposed to say so at the end of camp, I think. I haven't been to camp, um, but that's what I understand. Um, and so what this is about, this passage is about you reading this passage and you in your heart saying so, that you agree that God's redemption for you and Jesus is actually incredible. It's pretty simple. But as I was preparing this sermon this week, I was like, man, these descriptions of how lost we are and how God responds to us in our lostness and the call for us to respond with being thankful, it's so basic to Christianity, but it's so beautiful and good that we should and you should in your heart say so to God in your heart. If you identify, there's four descriptions of lostness here. And there's a pattern that it goes through. There's a description of, of how lost we are. Then there's us crying out to God for redemption. Then there's God responding with redeeming us. And then there's us giving thanks. And it happens, there's four, four progressions. And there's, there, so there's four ways of being lost. And there's four exact cycles that we go through. And it's, it's there for a reason. It's repetitive so that we will realize that this is the Christian life. We need redemption. We cry out to God. He responds to us and we give him thanks. When you first become a Christian, that's called conversion. When you keep on needing God to help you throughout your life, that's called sanctification. It's called walking with Jesus. Okay, so what we're going to do here and I know this is really outside the box for us. I mean, it's after Thanksgiving, and we have eaten a lot of turkey and stuffing and all kinds of things. And everything in you wants to be unresponsive this morning. I understand that. And you're in a PCA church. So I have a lot going against me right now for you to actually get involved with this sermon. Okay, I understand that the deck is stacked, but we're going to try. We're going to try, and we're going to start with some easy things. So at each of these these uh, descriptions of lostness, if you feel like this describes you, I'm going to ask you to respond in some way. We're going to start low level, super easy, and then we're going to, it might get a little bit more challenging for you, and that's okay. There's no, again, God loves you, okay? If you feel like this makes you uncomfortable, fine. It's cool. You can respond in your own way. God doesn't love you any less, and neither do I, but I would love for some people to respond or else it'll be really awkward. So, um, so the first situation that I'm going to describe is wandering in the desert, wandering in the desert. It says in verse four, some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Okay, so this is a description of someone who was lost in like a desert wasteland. So this is, this could be um, just having a time in your life that you felt spiritually dry or you felt like maybe it was even more serious than that, like you felt totally burned out or depressed and that's a place where you found yourself lost and you needed God to meet you there, okay? So I'm gonna ask you on the count of three, if that has ever described you in your spiritual life, if you would raise your hand, okay? Ready? One, two, three, raise your hand. All right. That's a lot of people, all right? Me too, all right? 
absolutely. You've heard my story. I have had moments where I feel lost in the wasteland, in the desert, and I needed God to help me. And so these moments in our lives can be a description of our spiritual state. It's obviously also a description of Israel and their wandering in the desert for 42 years, as we've learned in our Revelation series. That's 40 years plus two. Anyway, you can go back and listen to the previous sermons. But anyway, they were wandering for a long time. And sometimes we feel like we've been wandering. We have been wandering spiritually. We're dry and we need the Lord. And so what did the Israelites do over and over again? They cry out to God. And what do we do over and over again? We cry out to God. Just like Penelope was saying, if you have questions and you, or you need God and you cry out for him, he responds, he answers us. God is good to do that. And he never stops doing that. I have this question that's always in the back of my mind, like why do you keep on responding? I swear I've prayed the same prayer a million times and you answer me every time. That's the never stopping love of God. Maybe today even you're crying out, you're in a state of feeling like you're in a wasteland and you're crying out to God and you're waiting for an answer. And I just wanna encourage you that God always answers these prayers. In fact, I would encourage you to go find one example in the Bible, just one, of someone crying out to God for his mercy when they were in a broken place and God did not respond to them. I want you to go find it. I want you to look at the ministry of Jesus. I want you to go find a location in the ministry of Jesus where a broken person cried out to Jesus and Jesus did not answer them according to their need. You're gonna be looking for a very, very long time because it never happens. He never wants does not respond to the need of a broken person who needs him. This says in verse six and seven, God delivered them, led them to a city where they could be safe and dwell there. Again, thinking about the Israelites, who is the city? Who is the safe city for us? The place where we can dwell? It's Jesus Christ. He is the one that we can dwell in. And so don't forget this part, okay? The end of every cycle. This is the point of this whole sermon. How should you respond to God when he redeems you? You should be thankful. You should be thankful. That's it. But the problem is, as soon as God answers us, we're like, all right, I'm just, I've got so much going on. I'm just gonna go on and keep on going on. And then we, often we don't stop and we just say, God, you met me here. Thank you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You met me here. We thank you, God, for that. Okay, the second situation, okay, this is going to be, again, a pretty easy one, okay? Um, I just want you to, if you have a pen or you just want to make a mental note, if you believe this is you, I want you to write something down for yourself that indicates that this, you, you can identify with this description of what it feels like to be lost, okay? You can draw a picture, write something down, make a mental note if you've got nothing to write with. Second situation is lost in the darkness. Verse 10, some sat in the darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the word of God, had spurned the counsel of the Most High, and they fell down with none to help. 
Who here has found themselves before covered in a shadow of darkness in a prison of your own sin and you felt like there was no one who could help you? Okay, I just want you to write something down. If you can identify with this, write something down. If you can say, this was me, this was me. I tell you, this was me too, okay? For all of, all of you who are writing something down right now, man, so many times I've felt like I am just lost in a prison of my own making because I continue to do things that are actually pretty stupid. I can't believe I keep on doing these things. I keep on betraying the commitments that I make. And because of that, there are times I end up with, I just find myself in this place where I'm lost and I need God to help me out of the darkness. Verse 13 shows us how we should be in that moment. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my trouble and he delivered me. Maybe right now you feel like you are in a prison of your own making. There's a particular sin that you're involved with or there's this something in your life that you you can't shake. It could be a habitual sin It could be the sin of grumbling and complaining. I don't know. But you feel like that you're just in this place and you're you're having a hard time breaking free. The right response is to call out to the Lord. And again, as I said before, keep on calling out to the Lord throughout your life. We're not going to be sinless until we're in heaven. No matter how much you desire righteousness and walk with the Lord, you are going to keep on sinning until that day. I hate that. I hate that for you and I hate that for me. But the response to that is not to hide it and act like we're actually, oh, we're so much better than we thought we were. No, actually, the right response is to be like, you know what? I need to own that. That's a problem. And I need to take that to the Lord. And what does God do in verse 15? Our response, excuse me, verse 13 and 14, God delivers. He always delivers. He is a redeemer. He's called a redeemer here in this section. He delivers us out of the darkness And so verse 15, our response is to be thankful. If you were in the darkness, but now you're in the light, you should be thankful. You should be thankful. God is calling you to give him thanks for what he has done for you in the gospel because he has redeemed you through Christ. He has come to your aid, not figuratively, not in a poem. It's not a nice title for God. It's not a a positive way to think about who God is. You know, he actually is a redeemer. He actually did redeem. He sent his son Jesus to redeem us. That carrying us from darkness to light happened through a person, his own son Jesus. And so we should give thanks to Christ, our redeemer. Verse 15, you'll notice throughout this psalm, it's the same as verse 8, verse 21, and verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love his wondrous works to the children of man. God says to us that I am good and I am loving in verse one. And the rest of the psalm is God saying, these are not just words. These are not just made up ideas about me. No, in real and living history, I'm proving to you that I am good and I am loving. That's what God is doing throughout this psalm. Okay, the third situation All right, this is going to be a little more challenging, all right? It's going to be a little more challenging. I want you to say, if you can can agree with this, I want you to say, in a a moment, all right, so get you prepared. I want you to say, actually, 
audibly say, that was me. And I'll tell you when, okay? That was me, all right? So some were fools in their own sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. So this is for anyone that at some point in time in life, you acted foolishly, and that foolishness led you to suffer in some way in your life. You were foolish, and because you were foolish, you suffered because of that foolishness. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say that was me too, okay? I'm not just saying it because I'm leading this thing, all right? If you ever acted in sin and it, and it was foolish and it led to suffering in your life, I want you to say on the count of three, that was me, all right? You ready? One, two, three. That was me. All right, I heard some good that was me. So that was good, all right? We're, we're, we're doing well, okay? So the psalmist, I feel like sometimes he's looking literally through a telescope in history and he's looking 3,000 years into the future and he's looking at me, all right? Dude, absolutely, I have acted foolishly in my son and has led me down paths that are not good. And our response, again, we cry out to the Lord and because of his never stopping, never ending, unbreaking, always and forever love, he keeps on responding to us. He keeps on coming to our aid. He is our deliverer. He redeems us from our sin. God's action is in verse 20. He redeems. And then our response to him, what is it? It is thank God. Actually, it says here specifically, because God has redeemed us out of our foolishness that we should sing songs of joy. So when we sing songs about redemption, we should sing songs of joy. We should sing that with joy in our hearts of what God has done. And the final description, you're getting the point. Situation four, we are at our wits end. I'll just ask you to raise your hand again in a minute, okay? This is the longest description of all of them. It's like 10 verses long. And it's this long story. The reason why is because it's like this epic story of our lives where we go out on the seas, as it were. That's where people went to make money in the ancient world. They would go out on the seas. It was the, you go be a merchant. You're, you're going to risk your life to make money and make a life for yourself. But what ends up happening? You go out on the seas, the seas of life, and you think you're going to get ahead and you're going to work so hard and you're going to show the world, and you're going to show yourself that you really are somebody. And so you go and you work, you work hard at your career, but what happens inevitably what happens is life happens. Man, circumstances are hard. And, and things happen to you that are out of your control. You make mistakes. Some things that are under your control, you still didn't do well. And you get to the point where you are at the end of yourself. You actually couldn't save yourself. You couldn't build a life for yourself on your own. You need God. And it says here that you find yourself at your wit's end. Man, I love that description. You're at your wit's end. You realize you can't do it on your own. If this has ever been a description of you, that you've tried to do life on your own apart from God, and it's fallen apart, and you've found yourself in a place where you know that you need God's mercy because you cannot do it for yourself. If you've ever been at your wit's end in life and knew you needed God, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. Me too. Me too. 
We try to do things on our own. This is like a commentary on the human existence. When we come out into this world, we think we need to save ourselves. And we try all kinds of ways of doing that. And we fail. We try to do things on our own, but God is kind to us. God is kind to you. If you feel like you're at a point in life right now when you're reaching the end of yourself, where you're reaching the end of kind of your own abilities, and you're kind of having that existential question, oh no, I don't feel like I'm quite enough. Or maybe you're very aware that you're not enough. That is an uncomfortable feeling, but that feeling is so incredibly true. You're not enough. You can't do it on your own. I feel like I am giving the negation of American culture right now, okay? Like everything in, if you're in public school, everything has been, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Actually, no, you can't. I'm sorry. No, you can't. Personally, actually, you can't do everything. You're, you're made for something, but you're not made to do everything. And if you really think you can do everything on your own, if you put enough hard work into it, no. You can't. I know that that feels like the anti-American dream, and it is, okay? If you have that existential feeling in your life right now that I just can't do it right now, good, because you can't. Because the Bible is all for people, the, the message of the gospel is for people who realize that they can't do it on their own. They get to their wit's end. And instead of going, man, I'm going to reach down inside myself and be strong somehow. No, I'm going to look outside of me to the one who is the true redeemer. And so God responds. He redeems. He calls himself a safe harbor for us. We can anchor our lives there in him, in the winds, in the storm. We don't have to do life on our own. And verse 32 shows us the response. Here, the call is not just to an individual internal response, which is appropriate, but it's a call to an external response in community where the psalmist says, you should give thanks in the congregation, in the assembly, which we'll do in just a minute as we do at the end of every service. But maybe we can do it with that realization even today. So we should give thanks because God has redeemed us. Finally, we should give thanks because God provides for us. This is the final 10 verses. We should give thanks because God provides for us. God's never stopping, unending, never failing love doesn't stop when he saves us. He goes on. He keeps on providing for us. He keeps on providing. And we should give thanks to God because he keeps on providing. There are two types of provision described for us here. The first type is in verses 33 through 38, that he sustains us by nourishing us. And then the second way that God sustains us, he sustains us by protecting us. He sustains us by protecting us. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about nourishing us first in verses 33 through 38. In each of these, I don't want you to get hyper-spiritual, okay? Okay, yes, the nourishment that God provides for us is spiritual, but it's also physical. Like everything you have comes from God. Every good thing that you receive in life comes from God, spiritually or physically. And we've talked about this in a Revelation series. The, the paradigmatic Old Testament example of God's provision 
is found where? It's found in the wilderness. How did the people get into the wilderness? Well, they started in prison in darkness in Egypt. God led them through the Red Sea, which is the salvation paradigm for the Old Testament. They go through the Old Sea, Old Sea, the Red Sea. And then on the other side of the Red Sea, where do they get? Did they immediately go to the promised land? They thought they were, but they didn't. They were in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they had a lot of choices to make. A lot of times they chose to grumble and complain. Eventually, they cried out to God, even in their grumbling and complaining. And God was merciful to them and kept on providing for them in all of these ways. He nourished them with manna from heaven, with water from the rocks, so many other examples that God provides for his people. And God continues to do that for us as well. We are in this wilderness, and as we cry out to God and need him, he continues to provide for us. He continues to provide for our needs. Very seldom does God unilaterally bring rivers into parched lands or bring food directly from heaven, although God can do that. But the typical way that God provides for his people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is through normal means, okay, normal means that we, that we find here. It, it says in verse 35 that God provides physical food, he provides physical dwellings so that we're not hungry or homeless. He caused the land to bear crops, vineyards to produce grapes, to produce wine, cows to produce milk, where we get cheese and yogurt and other good things. This is how God provides, okay? Now, if God, like, sends you some yogurt from heaven, I think you'd be like, whoa, thanks, God, right? But God does that all the time. He does it by giving us grocers and, and truckers. There's actually a trucker that watches our service every week. It's pretty cool. He watches it from his truck. So, hey, man, hope you're watching today. Thank you, um, truckers, grocers, uh, fast food workers. Uh, he provides for us through doctors, he provides us through scientists that help food grow. He provides for us in, in all kinds of ways, farmers and so many people in our community that we don't even think about it. We go to Walmart or Harris Teeter and we're just like grabbing stuff and wondering how much it all costs. And it's actually all a gift from God, the way that God nourishes us. God nourishes us physically. He also nourishes us spiritually. God in the Old Testament sent them a tabernacle. He sent them the Ten Commandments. In our day-to-day, -day, he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the church. He's given us people that work in the church. We should be thankful. Thankful. Thankful that God nourishes us both spiritually and physically. It's an occasion for thanks. We should also be thankful, as we find there in verses 39 through 42, that God protects us. So the first is kind of, an, is a kind of internal provision, and this is more external provision. All right? God protects us. The people of the Old Testament needed God to protect them from their physical enemies. Okay, and so God did. God did that in some amazing ways. And as we walk through these wilderness days, we have enemies too, physically and spiritually, who we need protection from. Some Christians in the world, and this is why I do some of what I do with, with human rights work for the church, is that they live in nation states which are not, not open to them worshiping. They're actually persecuting the church, as you hear about a lot at our church. And so sometimes God in history acts unilaterally from heaven 
and he takes out rulers. We saw this with Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, where he ends up wandering around, and this may be a description of him, kind of like a cow. And, and it's crazy, he loses his mind. And the king just goes out and loses his mind. Herod was eaten by worms in Acts 12. That'd be great, you know? In some circumstances, I'd be so for that with some of these guys that are leading in the world today. But until that happens, the other way that God works is through people, through the church, as people raise their voices and say, this isn't right. And as an international community might galvanize around the idea that it's not right. That's why we use our voice. That's, that's why it's how God works in order to push back evil in the world. One way to bring good, the goodness of God into the world, is to do what we can to push back evil in the world. Both bringing in good and pushing back evil align with God and who he is. So through the work of humans who work for good, we can push back in certain ways. God, look at verse 42. I love this verse. God loves it when the upright see what he is doing and are glad. And he loves to have all wickedness shut its mouth. He loves it when wicked people get to shut up. He loves it. And then he also saves us in the, not just the, the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realms. I've been talking about Revelation. God is at work to protect you now in the spiritual realms. Through Jesus Christ, through angelic forces, he is at work to protect you. He is at work around us. Protection in the spiritual battles that we fight. And so the conclusion is simple. Verse 43, whoever is wise, let him or her attend to these things. Let us consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So do you want to live wisely? I think we all do. What this is saying is that you cannot be wise if you are not thankful. Man, I know a lot of people that think they're wise. But I cannot say for sure if I know if they're thankful or not. Okay? They might be thankful that they think they're so smart. But that's not what this says. What it says is that there is a direct connection between wisdom and thanks. Why? Because if you're wise and you understand, you will understand that you have a great redeemer who loves you, who brought you out of all kinds of awful places. And the, the wise person will also be a thankful person. And so Trinity Park, let us give thanks. Let us give thanks to the Lord. Let's give, give thanks to the Lord for who he is, for how he's redeemed us, how he continues to provide for us. Lord, let's give thanks to the Lord because he's good. Let us say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we will in a moment when we sing. Lord God, I thank you that you have provided a redeemer for us. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Thank you, Son, Jesus, for obeying your Father. Thank you for delivering us, redeeming us, for finding us in those wastelands, in those gloomy desert, those gloomy desert places, those places of prison. Thank you for meeting us when we come to the end of ourselves and we're at our wits end. Thank you. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you that you provide for us nourishment for our souls and our bodies, that you provide for us by sending us protection protection from wicked people 
and protection in the spiritual realms. God, we are utterly and totally dependent upon you, and we thank you that as we call out to you for help, that you meet us. And so I pray that we would say so in our hearts, that we would say so that you are good and that your steadfast love endures forever. We pray in Jesus' name.